Hey there. This episode originally aired on my Patreon many months ago, so some of the information might be a little bit outdated by now. If you'd like to check out episodes as soon as they come out, you can join my $3 tier over there, or you can subscribe to check out full episodes coming here eventually. Either way, the choice is yours. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cake... No, this isn't Cake Core. I got thrown off because I got a member from the Cake Core with me today, but this is Pat's Creative Podcast. Uh, Today I'm joined by a very special uh, guest and Cake Core member, Bombastic. Feel free to introduce yourself. I am Bombastic. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. Also, it's worth mentioning, though, um, Bombastic, while he does play a lot of games and uh, provides very comedic commentary, uh, he is also one of the most uh, talented, or rather skilled, uh, pianists I know to this oh, day. Oh, wow, thank so you so much. <laughs> he very much is in the creative practice, basically, which is why I think he'd be a great guest for this podcast. And of course, we've got a returning guest with us today, Talon Stradley, who needs no introduction at this point, but feel free to introduce yourself, Talon. What's up? It's me, T Dog. <laughs> I'm Talon. Uh, I make podcasts and music and a lot of audio stuff and uh, cassettes and podcasts with Patrick. <laughs> awesome. I, my my personal favorite is the podcast with Patrick, and that's not because I'm in it. It's just because I get to talk to Talon live, which is cool. Um, uh, yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. Fair. <laughs> now, um, what's kind of interesting about this podcast is not only do we have like uh three different like a a gradient of lighting of like brighter (laughs) to a little bit dimmer to like completely dark uh but also what's kind of cool about this podcast this is going to be the first uh mid-month podcast if everything goes according to plan this will basically be the first of the double podcast a month which is a new thing i'm starting um and as such i kind of want to shake it up a little bit uh with like the mid uh mid podcasts and those of you who are listening to this right now um, you guys are actually getting more exclusive podcasts than before because there likely won't be a bunch of public topics from this specifically. Um, and the reason for that being is because we have a specific topic we'd like to go over that's kind of a more long-running topic and doesn't fit into topics as well. There might be one or two on the channel. Uh, but basically, welcome. You got yourself some nice exclusive content. Um, and then, of course, at the start of every month, I'm going to try to keep it more towards creative interviews or specific topics towards um advice with creators or whatnot so uh thank you so much for your support shout out to all my patrons out there and uh we're gonna get started so today's topic that i want to go into is basically um this is kind of a broad stroke but i do have a couple more like more uh focused talking points to go into it but basically we've got uh we're gonna be talking about objectivity versus subjectivity in the art world specifically um now you might think that's like super broad but don't worry we got a whole hour right we can go anywhere with this (laughs) Um, basically I think the first thing to ask is, uh, how, what level of objectivity do you guys feel exists in the art world? I think that's a good way just to figure out where everybody stands on that or whatnot. Cause I don't think that's, there's a very clear one answer, but I know I definitely have what my take is. I think that there's a lot of objectivity that can exist. Um, It's hard because there's kind of like different reasons that things exist, right? Like, for example, if you are making a movie, an objective in in one lens, an objective rate of that movie's success and its merit is how much money it makes, right? It's if it makes a lot of money, like that movie is kind of objectively good in the sense that a lot of people paid to see it, they liked enough to enjoy it, they might have told their friends about it, right? Um, but then of course, there's a lot of movies that make a lot of money that are really awful. I, and I think that, so that's kind of like one lens that I have, right. Is like business lens, let people vote with their wallets. Kind of like if people like it, then there's merit to that. Right. Which I do believe, like, even if I watch something and it's awful or it 
you know, is not as high quality as other things. Like if people enjoy it, that's a great project. Like that, that yeah. has merit. There's something to be said mm -hmm. about people enjoying something, even if it is bad. And that's yeah, for sure. Exactly. Enjoyment is um, still enjoyment. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and then kind of like a middle lens I would have is, uh, kind of like a more critical academic look right like you have people who watch a lot of movies who love dissecting movies who love listening to music whatever right and and pulling as much as they can from that and those people are going to have other insights uh just because of the mass amount that they're digesting right and i think that's whatever we get into stuff like you know an objectively good movie plot is going to have you know the three act structure it's going to have these things you know joseph campbell's uh you know uh mythology they i forget what it's called <laughs> i'm blanking on the name no, of the we book, have no but, idea um, what you're talking about <laughs> oh the well the hero's journey right like there's 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 i mean all the way going back to like you know plato and aristotle like there's just hundreds and thousands of years of people looking at how we tell stories looking at the best stories and identifying patterns to most effective communicate stuff and so like that is another way that you can look at things and be like this is objectively good because good stories and the way that human beings interact with stories follows this pattern. And then of course you have, uh, in my kind of last lens is more of the like passion projects, right? This might be something that it might have a following. It might not, but it's like, this is something that someone made because they're like, look, I want to make this. And it could be very weird. It could be insanely experimental. Uh, it could be something that off puts people or that they don't enjoy, but that's where we get into more of like the subjectivity, right? And where that kind of stuff can shine, where it's like, if you're not making it to make money or if you're not making it to be a hit with the critics and you're making it to express something or to say something, then there is something good there. And that's where a lot of kind of subjectivity can kind of come in. So those are kind of my three lenses, like very corporate money, -y, you know, kind of academic, critical thinky, -y, and then, uh, you know, more expressive, I guess, or kind of the and they go and, they go down in objectivity <laughs> right and and do you feel like you draw from all three of those when you're critically looking at something like do those all play a pretty big factor or would you say you kind of go back and forth between them well i, I are you talking about as far as like me creating or me digesting oh uh, like, let's do both yeah let's let's hear both of them i wish i was in a position to financially rate my projects <laughs> but i <laughs> but i'm definitely not and so it's hard for me to be like I know this thing is a fine is a success if it's financially success successful because I'm just not at that level yet. Um, I do think that there's for me I make a lot of this stuff because I want to make it and I really enjoy it. Like and I can recognize right like especially as an audio engineer someone who has you know studied a lot of this stuff I can be like yeah looking back on it like this was not the cleanest thing I've done this was not like the best thing that I've done but I still really enjoyed it I'm glad I made it there's still a lot of merit to that so I'm I'm definitely like you know, in those last two, like I can look at my stuff in kind of a critical thing or, uh, you know, as a more subjective thing. And then as far as me digesting, I, I'm very much in that same camp as well. You know, it's like, there's some stuff that I know is awful, but I still enjoy it. Like Shark Tank, Australia. Love it. <laughs> even though I know like that's pretty objectively bad. Um, and then there's other things like, uh, yeah. And then there's some things that I can't appreciate because, of their financial success, right? So even though I might not identify it with it, I understand that other people like it and I can respect it for that place it holds in other people's you know, lives, even though I'd, I don't enjoy it. Like Big Bang Theory is one of those things for me. It's like, I can look at that and I can say, I think this is a pretty terrible TV show, but I also know a mm -hmm. lot of people who really enjoy watching it, who get a lot of joy from it. And so for me, it's like, there's definitely there's, merit. There's things to appreciate right. for sure. Yeah. yeah. That's that's my, uh, my little essay. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. problem. Um, 
Seth, would you care to jump in with what you're saying? Yeah, so I would agree with Talon that objectivity is sort of one of those things that's very hard to define, especially with just like one term, (laughs) because you can look at it from many different lenses, like you said, business or experts or whatever. Yeah. So I I think it's interesting um, that you guys brought up like the business end of it or whatnot, because um, like that is something that's very different from just a lot of people liking something like a lot of things can make a lot of money even when people don't really like it you know yeah um something that comes to mind is just when there's like a a movie series or something where like let's say star wars right and then a movie comes out where just everyone kind of agrees that one of those movies is objectively bad but it makes a ton of money and it's like at that point is that still an objectively good movie because it's hitting the objective of reaching broader audiences and bringing in the Mm. money or is it objectively bad because most people would agree that it's not a great film, regardless of the, the discussion and the cultural impact it had, right? Mm-hmm. That's more of a rhetorical question, but like, yeah, I just... <laughs> oh, I, think, it was, I don't know if that was a question. <laughs> I think it's interesting just bringing in like the... having the business aspect of it, because that's where objectives are, right? The objectives for a lot of movies is to make money. And even just a, the objective of a lot of art pieces is to, um, like, for people who our artists as they're living is is to uh, provide for themselves right um but then of course some people could argue that the objective of pr- making art is entirely based off of your own expression and uh being able to express that thing that is your objective and if you're able to express your thing to a large amount of people maybe that's objectively more accurate than uh hitting a lot of like box office tickets and stuff like that right uh that was kind of a tangent, but yeah, I just, I do, I do think it's interesting bringing up both the business side of it and just the, the overall like cultural impact something can have yeah. and whether or not that makes it objectively good or bad. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, yeah. I, I didn't mean to fully cut you off, Seth. You can yeah. continue on. But well, one thing I would say for objectivity is I feel like at the first stage that what you want to do is that sec, uh, talents like in between objectivity talked about, which is appealing to like the, the experts of the field. Because I think before you can have an impact on like the the monetary part, you have to appeal to the experts so that they can accept your work, right? Otherwise, it's going to be hard to have your your work produced or distributed. Yeah, the the masters, if you will, like <laughs> it's interesting how that plays such a big part in what even just the public see as something as being objectively good, right? If you mm-hmm. if you're talking about like food and you're like. Uh, man, this thing tastes really good. It looks really good. Um, I think this is objectively a good dish. And then Gordon Ramsay tries it and says he hates <laughs> it. It's like, well, does that mean it's now objectively bad? Because we objectively agree that Gordon Ramsay is one of the masters of this art. You know what I mean? I would say yes. <laughs> yeah. So it it's just, it's just interesting because there's so many different things that can make something objectively good. Even just calling a piece good. This is actually a good question to ask both of you guys again. If you are referring to something as being good, like something, uh, or you're saying like this thing is best or this thing is great, do you guys feel that you are saying that with an objectivity, an objective weight to it or more a subjective weight? Like, how would you guys define good? <laughs> Definitely for me, it'd be subjective, without yeah. a doubt. So just yeah. how it like uh, grabs a response from you or whatnot? Well, primarily because like my focus is in music, right? And mm. A lot of times, at least for for my for what I like to research and listen to, it's not like it's either something that's been made 250 years ago or no one listens to it except for me, right? right. <laughs> so for me, I feel like when it comes to music, it's definitely more of a subjective point of view, and I think that's why, like, even a lot of Mozart's famous pieces I don't like 
it's not because I know I know that it's a great piece objectively, right? Right. But I think that because it's been done over and over and over, it no sort of loses my subject, like the the part of me that enjoys it subjectively, right? Right. Because I feel like if you just like check all of these boxes for objectivity, for me at least, when I listen to a piece, then I feel like it loses its subjectivity because you're trying to tick all these boxes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, see I, I think that's a really, really fair point. Cause for me, like a lot of my experience comes from theater. It comes from film classes. It comes from creative writing classes, right? Like I took like one music theory class, uh, but that's kind of it, you know? And it's like it, with like narrative stuff, like there's very clear hits that you want to be hitting to tell a good story. And there is things that break that obviously, but a lot of the times they're very consciously breaking it or mm -hmm. um, they didn't know what they're doing and they got lucky. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> with music, like for one music is a, is a cheaper thing to produce, right? Like if you just have yourself in a piano, like you can create music and it is just a more subjective thing. Right. It's like, cause it, it's, it's all about feeling and emotion and evoking that kind of stuff. And so I like, I, I think I agree with you quite a bit where I think that there is some, I think of music as a whole is a much more subjective experience. Um, and so I think then, that's, sorry, oh, go, go for, for it. it. Oh, I was just going to bring up like generational differences a little bit, you know, like I think oh, okay. there's a lot of people who look at things and say, in you that know, case I will go. Um, oh yeah, go for it. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a question for you, Seth. Uh, no, no, we'll get to that. Definitely. As before we can entirely leave this. I, um, yeah, go for it. You, Seth, you were talking about how like, because uh, the, the question I was kind of asking is like, if you find something that is subjectively good, is that what your definition of good is? And you were kind of leaning towards that. In that case, with those Mozart pieces that you don't entirely enjoy, that don't entirely ring true to you or whatnot, would you call those pieces objectively bad because of that? No. No? Would you just call it regular bad? Or do you do you feel like that's bad is kind of a different... I mean, I, I, I don't want to get too hung up on vocabulary hmm. specifically, but like... I would... Okay, for... In the case of Mozart specifically... Like, well, let's go, let's go to Bach, right? There's some Bach, Bach basically like laid the foundation for a lot of our modern music theory. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is at the time, the stuff he was doing was revolutionary, right? Mm -hmm. But now that it's very well studied and understood, um, from a subjective point of view, a lot of times the music to me just sounds very dull and predictable, but, mm -hmm. the, but but objectively, because he laid those foundations for a lot of the, the music theory we have today, obviously, it's like objectively one of the greatest, he's one of the greatest composers of all time. Right. I, I feel the exact same way about the Beatles as far as like recording stuff goes, <laughs> right? It's like yeah. you can look at the Beatles and you can say, man, at the time that was bananas. That was crazy. Like the kinds of things they were doing was revolutionary, shaped modern recording. But then nowadays we can listen to those records and the songwriting is good. Like I'm not saying that it's bad stuff, but like, for example, I'm a, I've been listening to a lot of Bon Iver recently and I really love that. And he is, you know, like doing a lot with digital stuff, you know, very experimental. And so it's kind of hard for me to listen to like just how much we can do now with modern stuff and then go back and listen to the to the Beatles and be like, yeah, this is like objectively good in today's standards. It's the exact same kind of thing where it's like, yeah, revolutionary at the time, but now kind of like in the context. <laughs> right. Oh, I know. I know that we're, we're in big Beatles fans over here. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. I, but I think it's true. You know, I think a lot of the novelty of, like Beatles music can wear off a little bit in the sense of 
if I hear something pan to two sides or I hear a big orchestration, I'm no longer blown away because I hear that all the time, right? It's like I could make something like that, which is the programs I have on my computer, you know? So there is some contextual stuff that needs to be there. Uh, And I I think it's, it's entirely understandable to feel that even though, even though you appreciate that the Beatles uh, were revolutionary on so many fronts to hear their music again in the decade that we live in, when we've already heard music that have since tried to replicate the Beatles to an extent that like Seth was saying earlier, it becomes kind of predictable when back in the day, that kind of stuff, they didn't predict that. And um, I think it's with music specifically, it's entirely understandable. Just feel like, because I've heard this so many times, you know, you hear music without even trying to hear music. You, you go places and it's just playing out there. Mm -hmm. People are singing. Uh, You will always just hear music somewhere. Right. And it's if you end up hearing the the same formulas that were once super um, revolutionary and necessary at the time, if you hear them over and over and over and over and over again, naturally, you're just going to start growing, feeling like a little bit tired too. I kind of feel the same way about the Beatles specifically. Um, But also like this can be applied to other art forms. Like um, if you take Seinfeld for an example, right? Uh, When the show Seinfeld came out, that had started so many tropes that have later then been duplicated so many times. But when it Mm -hmm. came out, like it was like wow this show is kind of cold uh like these characters they don't act the way most sitcom characters usually would and it was doing hitting a lot of those marks um but then after that because the show did so well people want to replicate you know i want to do like what the masters mm-hmm. did and stuff and uh you end up finding even just like straight up copies of jokes and like other tv shows to the point that now when I watch Seinfeld, it's like I can predict the punchline of most jokes coming up. And that's just because of the tropes that they started. It wasn't their right. fault for being that good. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like the like a piece of media can just like it can start a cliche. And so now that original piece of media exactly. is like is cliche, right. even though at the time it was groundbreaking. Definitely. Yeah, that, and you can't like yeah. fault Seinfeld for that. Um, but something you could ask is if another show takes things that Seinfeld did or the Beatles did. And they start doing those formulas, but what you find better than those formulas, they somehow manage to improve what was originally revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Is it is it fair to say that like the Beatles aren't as good as whatever those improved versions are? No, it's not. No. I, <laughs> well, I, I think. Oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. I would say I'd say it's not because. When it comes to any field, science, music, art, anything, it's always progressing and always improving. So if you were, for example, let's say you you take something like science, right? Before the new bacteria existed, are you saying like the doctors beforehand are obviously worse Mm. when it comes to like a medical procedures that they would do? But at the time, they could be top of their class. Right. And if you just replace doctors with artists, it's like, can you really call I mean, the it doesn't artists translate completely, so. worse? No, I mean, I, I definitely think I was, that's an excellent point. Yeah. I mean, I was giving, thinking the yeah. exact same thing of like, like you said, like that science thing, or even thinking of like, you know, professional sports, you know, like I saw this video recently that was like one of the first, you know, recorded Olympics, uh, you know, whatever, like one of their swimming events compared to our most recent time running that event. And it's crazy. Just like, how much faster people are nowadays mm. and like those little improvements that you know get them where they need to go like um, nutrition anything honestly. yeah and mm-hmm. so that's why i think like in 
when talking about how time plays into like objectivity and subjectivity, you know, again, there's like kind of like the two lenses, right? Like sometimes it's really beneficial to go look like here is why the Beatles are often regarded as one of the most important bands to have ever existed, right? It's because they took these steps. And even though those steps might seem very basic now, like they were the ones that made that possible. Mm -hmm. And that's important and incredible and worth listening to, worth digesting and worth like, they definitely have earned like their place in pop culture. But then at the same time, like if I'm going to look at it in the context of all the music we've developed since the Beatles, right? Like it's really hard for me to say that the Beatles is objectively some of the best music that's ever been created because I don't think that's the case. Like I think that, you know, oftentimes like, and granted, I'm not, as you might pick up, I'm not a huge Beatles fan necessarily. I, I, there's a lot of artists that are, to be fair, I don't think any of us are huge Beatles fans. So are we safe in this call? Yeah, That's the spots, right. yeah, if you're watching, you can stop watching now. Yeah, anyone who's, yeah. I, but no, it, it's really hard for me to, to like label them as like one of the best bands, <laughs> mm-hmm. like so, to label like one of their albums as one of the best albums because I've heard other things that I just think are better albums when mm-hmm. taken out of that context. And, and yeah. part of that is because they had 30 additional years of technology of development of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, it's, it's two lenses and both have a lot of merit. Yeah, yeah well, it really and, depends on how much of a historical view you want to take on something. Definitely. Like, definitely. Um, like but, for example, yeah. If you want to look up something, if you want to look up something um, object objectively, I feel like it's very important to look at it through historical lens as well. But, but that's what that, I feel. What? But how, how valid really is that? Right. Cause then like, mm-hmm. cause again, like there's, yeah, there's kind was, of two yeah. lens. Oh yeah. Go for it. If you want I was going to say that that's where I feel like subjectivity comes in play as well is that's what kind of brings you back away from like looking too deep into the history books and stuff. It's like, how does it feel in the now? I feel the opposite. I feel like whenever we start looking at things more subjectively is whenever we start taking history more into account. Hmm. Because if you have, right. Cause like, again, like in the context of the Beatles, right. One of the most like objectively praised bands of all time a lot of those people, a lot of those experts, the critics, the people writing these lists, um, a lot of listeners, there's so much nostalgia brought alongside of that. And we also, as humans, really love stories, right? And I like, that's one of my favorite things about music, right? Is I like the live shows. I like the album art. I like hearing how it was created. Like, I like all of the Mm -hmm. stuff that surrounds the music as well. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think that whenever we say like Sgt. Pepper's is the best album ever created. I think that's a lot of subjective stuff bringing with us and saying like, oh, it's the best because of its influence or because of this or because of that, right? right? And like all of this other outside stuff. Whereas where if, if you took someone was who, entirely out of the question, yeah. then like the, the response would be entirely different, you know? Like if, if there the was Beatles somebody came who was completely today, unfamiliar. Like, right. Yeah, and I just showed them like, oh. I could oh, definitely see that. Yeah, like if I just showed them like one of the most recent albums and then Beatles, like I think people would gravitate towards that, towards the the newer stuff just because like it's more basic, you know, because yeah. that's what it was at the time. And it's worth mentioning that we live in the time that we live in and there's nothing we can do about that, right? We yeah. literally cannot fully understand the level of appreciation people may have had for Beatles when it first came out or just even oh, the yeah. environment that required that kind of response from a creator, right? Uh, because they were obviously filling up some void in order to become that cherished, right? Something something was missing in the mm-hmm. music industry. Uh, and something's always missing when uh, another great artist comes out and just vocalizes something, right? Um, it, but no matter how hard we try, we can never go fully back. So it's like, 
we have to we have to accept that we live in a certain generation and when we keep that in mind with things that we're listening to now it's you know how do we how do we say that the the beatles would be a better band than another band that does what they did better nowadays again just for any of the beatle fans out there i'm not this is a hypothetical scenario okay i'm not even <laughs> saying that there's a better band than the beatles god forbid okay i'm just saying no such um, thing <laughs> no such thing but no i i i'm really glad we got into the the historical part of this because um you know there's there's different i learned this a while back and i don't remember the exact numbers the exact names but i learned something about called the the literary criticisms and i think there was like maybe six or seven maybe even eight of those or whatnot and there's like there are basically different uh forms of criticism that uh you can approach towards art Uh, of course literacy was the the goal of it but it can be applied to any art form um and it said that typically uh people will draw from all of them at certain points, but value specific ones more than another. And one of the criticisms specifically was historical criticism, specifically about the impacts and the response and everything that was surrounding the piece when it was, piece of fuzz fell down, um, when it was uh, uh, in the time in which it came. So I'm just curious, how much do you guys value his, uh, historic criticism in your guys's critiques, would you say? Would you guys say that's an integral part? Or would you say ultimately your subjectivity usually wins over that? Or your experiencing in the now is typically more important to you than what people experienced back then in general? I mean, we don't have to get so specific, but. Yeah, I think that I'm pretty heavily influenced, like I mentioned, by kind of the stories surrounding stuff, right? So even though right. like the Beatles music might not be my favorite. Like I'm still enamored with their process and how they created. (laughs) I know. I feel that I just, I have like weirdly strong thoughts about them, but I love it. Like, cause I'm sitting, I'm in my audio engineering classes and everything Mm -hmm. that we do, we're just learning the stuff that they did because it's pioneering. And it's, it's interesting Mm -hmm. even in today's standards, right? Like it's, they did really good stuff. And I think that that historical context is worth something. And whenever we talk about objectivity, whenever you can point to a single band and say, they had this massive influence in how we do things, like that's a really great quantifiable, Definitely. you know, kind of metric. If you're like, okay, well, if we're rating things objectively, how are we going to measure that? Well, what about the influence it had on other artists? Right. So I think that there is like a lot of value there. And personally, I do sure. enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, Seth, how about yeah. you? Oh, sorry. It was it was whether or not. How much would you say you value value the historical context? Because oh, we're, we're talking about music specifically, and music is such an interesting medium. Because, like yeah. I said, it is something that you just hear constantly, and it's something that you choose to listen to, and like you listen to while you do other things. Right? It's a very collaborative medium. And um, uh, when you're like on Spotify or whatnot, and you're choosing your different things, you may not choose the Beatles, but because of your appreciation of where Beatles are could you say that that's like one of the best bands ever or whatnot, right? Not so, for them specifically, yeah. but how much does that history play into um, your overall view on uh, on a piece? I would band? say subjectivity for me plays the number one role. Like, right. when it com- at least when it comes mm-hmm. to listening to a piece. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can understand the historical context and the importance of the Beatles or a lot of different uh, ones of Bach's chorales or whatever. Mm-hmm. but it won't necessarily be enough to have me listen to it for like an hour or whatever. Sure. So sure. when it, specifically when it comes to music, I definitely look at it through a subjective lens when, when, when specifically listening, when analyzing yeah. something and like weighing how important I think it is, mm-hmm. I feel like my objectivity uh, 
balances that out. For example, let's say that I'm very subjective and liking this one piece. A lot of times I'll then look at it through an objective lens and say, oh, well, they just did, you know, this simple technique or this. Uh, You're defining pop music right now, right? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's something that when you objectively look at it and then you compare it to some of the, the things of the different eras or whatnot, you might feel mm. like this is objectively worse than these tracks, but gosh dang, is that catchy? Gosh dang, yeah. is that fun to just sing along and to? That, you know what that's I mean? the thing, yes. right? And kind of going back to that like commercial outlook is it is really, really hard to make something appeal to the masses, right? Definitely. And mm-hmm. it requires, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, there's elements of psychology. There's, you know, recognizing patterns, breaking the patterns, right? Like Billie Eilish sounds different than anybody else who's, you know, really come before her, but she's taking all these elements from different things. And that was enough to completely change the game. And every few years we have someone like that coming forward, breaking Mm -hmm. a mold and changing everything. And that is really, really hard and requires a lot of, you know, attention to detail there's definitely luck involved but this industry is you know a billion dollar industry that is all about getting people to like these sounds and so there's a lot of effort and a lot of money that's put into it even though a lot of them might sound the same or even though you know some of the individual songs like this song compared to this song you know might not be a huge Mm -hmm. difference but it's all kind of a product of this formula and this giant machine that is you know how can we get how can we produce something that people are going to like to listen to the most? And For that's sure. Hard. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and to correlate that a little bit with like, I, I'm a graphic design major, so I have to deal a lot with like typography and uh, making sure things are uh, contemporary in designs and whatnot. And typically with contemporary graphic design, it's, it's utilized so much in a um, commercialist world yeah. that the important part with graphic design is all about, uh, presenting the information as clear as you can. And it's kind of different than some of the art forms in that way. You know, with, with painting, it's a little bit more about like, you're, you're obviously still trying to express information, right? It still is an art form, but with painting, a lot of it is about the formalities of like complexity and stuff like that. And obviously, I mean, painting can go anywhere because it's such a developed art form at this point, but with graphic design, you know, the goal is to, to make sure the audience really understands the content that's being projected. Mm -hmm. And, um, as such, when I'm making like thumbnails for YouTube or whatnot, I have to try to make it as clear as possible the information that I want to get across, even if there's some other aspects I would like to change to make it more aesthetically pleasing to myself, um, such as maybe there's this kind of font that's like really fancy, hard to read, but like it has a cool little edge to it or something like that. I might like to have something like that. You put that on a thumbnail, shrink it down to like this big, nobody's going to be able to read it. And mm-hmm. um the thing is, is that graphic design is very much an art form that's directed towards being objectively good. It's definitely directed towards reaching wide audiences with getting the point across, similar to kind of Billie Eilish. I'm sure um, that that she's got like such a s- strict formula or what, not even a strict form. Even, you know, I, I basically I there's thought and process that goes into making something, being able to reach uh, a wide range of people and make everybody like it. And I don't think it's fair to entirely discredit that as an art form, right? There's definitely an art to trying to make something objectively appealing to a mass amount of people. And there's an art to making something financially uh, feasible and whatnot. So, yeah. And even within like 
even within those moments of like mass produced, right? Like if we think of like the biggest pop stars that have other people writing their songs that have these big studios producing it and putting it through, you know, so it sounds very similar to everything else. Like there's still a lot of humanity that's kind of in there, right? Like you have the person who wrote the lyrics, even though it might not be the performer, that's still coming from somewhere and some experience, right? It's so, still someone's expression. Yeah. Uh, it's inherently until AI creative. takes over, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's quiet, the thing okay. is like, you know, I mean, this is <laughs> might be a whole other tangent, but you know, that idea of like AI created art, you know, where I guess I'll, I'll ask this question of the group is how much, how much merit does that art oh, hold? Man. Like if an AI can create something that is really good objectively, you know, should that have more or less, or is that too much context? Like, I don't know. I love the idea of AI. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so tough because I've I've always had not always. I mean, I I the outlook I kind of have with art now is just that art is communication from someone to another being or whatnot. And if the communication is specifically coming from an AI building that art, then it's like, is that really communicating? But at the same time, someone made that AI and they made it for the sake of communicating. Mm. So it's That's assuming someone made the AI though. Yeah. What if the AI, AI made the AI? <laughs> At some point, it goes back to humans, I'm pretty sure. Unless I'm crazy. Or <laughs> ants. Yo, if ants could make art, best species ever. I'd, I'd definitely say that. I see what you're saying, though. Art. So there's still humanity in AI programming. Yeah, right? if you if you dial it back. And like Talon said, this is a little bit of a tangent. So okay, let's, 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 let's go back. This is, a, this is a different It's also discussion. scary. Um, no, but yeah, I'm like... Dark room, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't remember yeah. what we were talking about before. We were, we were just, yeah. Basically, like, um, uh, there, there's a formula to make an art, regardless of whether or not you're going towards objective means or subjective means. If you're literally just trying to express yourself, you're doing so in a formula that you made by yourself. Um, so, mm. saying something is not artistic because it has a formula attached to it seems uh, unnecessary, or at the very least misguided because pretty much everything has some kind of formulaic process to it even if it's just something as simple as like when i draw a line i uh make sure that um i i draw from left to right because it goes with the curves of my arm or something like that right um even going down to just the basics of that there's always some kind of step-by-step -step thing going on behind the scenes and when you take a, a business that's producing something even if it's just an advertisement or whatnot Mm -hmm. they're still trying to communicate something they're still following a formula just like every other artist who's made anything so an advertisement would still be considered a piece of art right they mm -hmm. still had to get a graphic designer or whatever they used in order to advertise it um it's just the intent isn't only to express themselves it's very much also to in fact usually primarily to uh financially gain from it i have a question to pose to the crowd mm -hmm. do you guys feel like if something that's created more for the sake of financially gaining than to express what you're trying to express would you guys say that is what crosses the line from like art to not art uh okay would so you say that line even exists one thing i would say for when it comes to financial gain for art is first thing everyone needs to make a living at some point right and if, if art is your form of mm -hmm. of making money then obviously that should be one of your objectives in creating art right but what I feel like is, is initially it might be their primary objective is to get like a broad audience to get a lot of people to, to view your art or listen to your music or whatever it is. 
But I feel like once you get to a financially stable point, I feel like it's almost like the artist's uh, obligation to try to add something to the field, to try to do something new, to try to try to experiment a little bit. And that might have some form of financial, you know, might lead a financial deficit, or it could be a breakthrough in that field. And I feel like once you're in a position to have exposure to a large audience, it's important to take more risks. At least that's, that's the, right. what I feel like. So, so to be clear, you're, you're, you're basically saying like, um, it's kind of like an ends justify the means kind of dealio exactly. sometimes with like, if you are producing strictly for the sake of, uh, making something, um, then at some point you might be financially able to experiment yourself. I mean, there are a lot of filmmakers out there. I always relate to film just because that's you know my forte or whatnot. Yeah. But there's a lot of filmmakers out there who will uh, work really hard on like bigger budget things, specifically so they can raise the money to work on uh, smaller projects. You know, even just director, big directors out there, you know, they like to have their small projects as well as their big blockbusting projects or whatnot. Um, but for the blockbusting projects specifically, or something that just has the intent more for making money. Is that individual piece considered art throwing it to talent now? I think for me, there there has to be a lot of... So first off, I will say, like, yes, it's art, right? I think that, that there's a very far line where, you know, doing something to make money is not art, right? And it's, like, very hard to cross that line. Um, you know, some of that art is better than others. I think it gets more difficult to create... Uh, something that is really true uh whenever money gets more involved right and like don't get me wrong i'm all for paying artists like i'm all for like yeah get out there like get that bread you know make your money but i also recognize you know if i mean you know take the office for example uh the original show was in the uk three seasons it was great very critically acclaimed they brought it over to the u.s started developing it it really took off uh and it went on for what like nine ten seasons uh and the last two seasons after steve carell left like there was a lot missing there and they weren't entirely sure what to do and a lot of people say like that's objectively worse and i think there's something to be said for you know instances like that where that show went on longer than it probably would have if somebody was doing it mm. out of the love for the that's story right that was being told and so it definitely gets more complicated and more difficult. Um, I don't like, you know, Bojack Horseman. I don't know how much money that brought into Netflix or, you know, anything like that. But I know that was a very popular series. Very, very popular. Uh, lots of people watch it in, you know, critically loved it. I know it was one of their most watched shows. And so that was just, you know, a huge financial success as well as a critical success. And it went on for like six seasons. It got cut just like a little bit short. I heard they wanted to like another season or two more. Uh, but Netflix likes to keep a nice tight, tight rope on things. Um, so I do think that there's things that, you know, can make a lot of money. And like what Seth was saying, once you have that money that enables you to be safe and to go, okay, they like the show, you know, we're there. People love it. Now we can get weird. Now let's do an episode where there's, you know, just one character talking the entire time or an episode with no dialogue, right? And kind of like pushing <laughs> those boundaries in different ways. Um, you know, but I mentioned the Big Bang Theory earlier. Like, I don't think the Big Bang Theory has, you know, I don't think it's as good as a lot of other shows that are out there. It went on for a very long time. It made them a lot of money. And even though they didn't push the boundaries crazy or they didn't break anything or, you know, advance the field a lot, I think mm -hmm. that there's still 
artistic merit there and the way that people were expressing things and the way that people related to the things or digested it on their end, right? Is it's kind of like a two-way street. You got the art and then you have the person. Right. And I think a lot of the artistic merit happens in that space in between of I am Definitely. a person digesting this art. And it, it's worth mentioning too that like you're bringing up like the Big Bang Theory and other TV shows or whatnot. That's not just one person making something uh, with the Big Bang Theory, even if if it might not yeah. be considered objectively amazing or whatnot, um, those are still uh, making money for all those individual people who are working on the show, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. down to like the cameramen, the the audio people, the the director, obviously the actors, you know, those are all people who are creating something and it's financially working out for them. So if you were to ask, like, should have something like it, let's say the Big Bang Theory was just absolutely awful, but then yep. eight seasons <laughs> happened or something like that. I don't know much about the show, but like, let's just say it was awful and let's just say it made tons of money and somehow a lot of people watched it despite it just being absolutely dreadful. Would it have been better? This is a rhetorical question that I'm about to answer, but would it have been better if the show never existed? No, definitely not. At least I, I don't think so because there's so many people working on that show and so many people who, even if they're making something bad, they're still expressing what they want to express, yeah. at least to the extent uh, that they can. And they are able to then have more job security within the show's duration, but also uh, moving on to different shows and different movies or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and this goes into like another literary uh, response, but uh, like one of them was specifically about like the artist's criticism where you play in how much you, you weigh in how much uh, an artist plays into your critique and stuff like that. Um, but those last two seasons of the office in that case scenario, like would it have been better to just call it quits or would the slight good moments you get from the last two seasons of The Office kind of justify it even having a space in the entertainment world or whatnot, right? Another yeah. kind of rhetorical question, but feel free to jump well, off from there. And it's kind of interesting bringing up like, you know, the Big Bang Theory, hugely popular show, really panned by critics. Like a lot of the things that we use objectively, right? Like, especially in, in film narrative where, you know, again, like you have Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, you have, you know, three extracts, you have this, you need to hit these beats at these times and all that kind of stuff. Like that stuff didn't come out of nowhere. It's not like somebody just sat and was like, oh, this sounds good, right? It's like a lot of that came from an analysis of the most popular and engaging films of the time. And maybe that just leads to a formula of how to make something that's popular. But- a lot of these are met because it, it's that's how we as humans like to digest things, you know? So yeah, the big bang theory, you know, if on closer inspection, not might not be great, but that's the kind of show that was very popular and that would be studied when looking to make these other things. You know, it's like, there's this thing that right. is beloved by millions and millions of people. How can we, you know, replicate that? Like, what can we learn from that kind of thing? So I think right. there's definitely a space for bad art or mediocre art or anything, whether it has a wide appeal, a cult following of an awful, you know, B horror movie or a small indie film that is absolutely loved by critics that just might not have hit the larger audience. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think um, uh, that doesn't even go into just the, the power something like entertainment can have. And yeah, if you start saying that like bad pieces of entertainment are welcome in entertainment, despite it entertaining people, you might as well be saying that you don't think entertainment is a beneficial thing to our society. I'd yeah. argue it is, in which case I pretty much argue that, um, yeah, if people enjoy something, then it should exist, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, specifically in the art field, I guess, specifically. Seth, I didn't know if you had any 
uh, thing you wanted to add to that or whatnot. Okay, yeah, so in the case of The Office's last two seasons, um, that's a very specific case, but right. I would say in general, it's important to know when a, um, a series should end. And a lot of times, mm-hmm. I feel like that's not necessarily, at least it would be the most smart thing to do is not necessarily end it when you think it's just financially going to be the best time to end it. The reason why I say that is sometimes uh, choosing a time to end before it's like, oh, it seems like this is just drying out. A lot of times you have this ending that just feels so empty. It's like you could tell that they just ran out of things to do and they just ended it abruptly. Yeah, and I think that just goes into like viewing the pieces as one art form, right? If you mm-hmm. took every season in The Office and you said, this is this one show, I feel like um, the last two seasons they exist and it gives me like a little bit of a sour note when I critically talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also important to understand a difference between uh, having a critical eye towards something and accepting its existence or whatnot and accepting yeah. that there were still a lot of people who enjoyed those last two seasons. And I'd still argue there are a lot of uh, very entertaining moments in those last two seasons, even if just as a whole, it didn't contribute so much to that complete package. But, you know, dealing with shows is kind of weird because what really is a complete package when everything just is broken up into so many segments, like mm-hmm. uh, it's broken up into seasons and then it's broken up into episodes yeah. and even episodes are broken up into different subplots or whatnot. So it's hard to say, like, it's hard to say the office as a whole is like a bad show because of these last two things or, just because the ending's bad even if people say like the ending's bad in a certain movie and that makes the whole movie bad it's like i might have more difficulty saying that just because there's so much else to digest there right um, yeah, and, exactly. I, and i think another large part of it too is like the way it's meant to be digested right like a movie for example hour and a half two hours you know that's a relatively short time whenever you're comparing it to you know 10 whole seasons of the office or whatever right like TV shows like that tend to lend themselves to watching it through once, you know, maybe every couple of years or something. You know, it's not a show you're sitting down and watching back to back to back, at least not in any kind of critical way. But then, you know, a, a movie can come along, you know, like Parasite or something, and I can go watch that four times in the theaters critically, like just absorbing every single detail. And there's so much there. And I think there that there's something really special it's almost like poetry right it's like how can i communicate the most in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of resources and that is a very different field you know whenever you're trying to really communicate a theme or express those kind of literary ideas and whatnot as opposed to you know shows like the office which are really meant to be entertaining and engaging mm-hmm. and that kind of thing right um right you mentioned yeah, so advertising yeah. advertising's a tool communicate yeah some things communicate some things entertain what do you and, say in general? Sorry, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say then you can also apply like, you know, some shows are meant to be like binged one after another, right? Especially right. nowadays, there's a lot of shows where you're supposed to watch them as a continuous thing. Only having episode ends as kind of like an act, like an end of an act so you can get up and use the restroom or something like that. Um, at least that's how a lot of like streaming shows are nowadays. Uh, but then you also have shows like The Office, which is really meant to be digested and uh, kind of like uh you know once one every once in a while when it's on or something like that right or just like you watch a couple episodes here you watch your favorite episodes every once in a while but it's really not supposed to be digested in like a long continuous um stream of content right anyway i just wanted to that mm. stuff you can go ahead. yeah so kind of to add on to that i was gonna ask do you think that movies are more end goal oriented as opposed to something like a series for example well, like when you're watching a movie you're able to digest it all in one time and you can't necessarily binge watch all nine seasons of the office 
Yeah. Oh, so, I, yeah. I think for sure. Like that's one of the reasons why I love limited series so much, right? Is I think that there's a lot of merit to like having an end to having a limited amount of time. Um, yeah. You know, whenever they start the office, they don't know how long it's going to go on for. It could go on for a season, two seasons. You know, The Simpsons has been on for like 35 seasons, right? So it's kind of like it, it, whenever you get in the realm of TV serials, especially like there's a lot of variants that can happen there. And, um, and it's just a different form, you know, but a movie most times is here's the start. Here is the end. That's it. Right. Let's use that time effectively. And yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut no, you. I, no, was, no. I was literally just processing. <laughs> like you made a good point. I think, um, yeah, I like, like movies when you're talking about like end goals, Seth, and like, uh, how movies are specifically made for like a specific duration of time. I think also, if we're talking about like how the, the whole package is very different because things like the ending end up becoming more impactful because there's less duration in total. And if everything's working towards that ending, it kind of, it becomes something yeah. that drives the rest of the movie forward. Yeah. A show I like to think about when with regards to a show that kind of like lasted just as long as it needed to is, um, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. It had like a very set ending after those three seasons or whatnot. And because it had that ending in mind, every point in that show felt like a pretty natural progression from one step to another, arguably some other points, but like it's, it has an effect, right? When you have like that set ending, something like the office though, because you're not supposed to watch it one after another. And it, I mean, the office is really more one of those shows that could technically go on forever, similar to like the Simpsons or whatnot, by the way, 30 seasons of the Simpsons. How the heck are none of those kids aging? It's driving me like nuts because I just started like rewatching it. I'm like season six right now, rewatching, watching for the first time. And it's like, hold on, these these kids aren't gonna grow up, but there's we've got 30 seasons. Like, and like my favorite part is how with shows like that, like there's holidays and there's like summer yeah. breaks. So you have these characters going into summer break, first days of school, summer break, first days of school, but it's all just the same. Yeah. I, I love just like that thing we don't talk about. Yeah, it's like yeah, there's I'll just accept it. like freaking bill clinton uh george bush senior and stuff like that like that's they're just gonna keep going and like new presidents but these kids are just the exact same but at the same time i don't want to see what bart looks like when he's grown up i don't think so at least anyway that's just a mini tangent but uh yeah no i i think uh keep it in mind we actually are gonna have to start wrapping this up but um keep it in mind like just the duration of things or whatnot uh in the case of like avatar because it is such a narrative driven show having that ending and not going beyond that, I felt like was very important to the earlier seasons because it's such a driving force. While something like The Office, if The Office was still going on today, I feel like the new seasons wouldn't really spoil what I view of the other ones because I would still kind of picture, I'd still think of Office of when it was at its best. And I feel like new seasons wouldn't change that because it's not a narrative really driven story, right? A story, right? It's character driven, but it's not so much like overarching end goal meet, uh, end goals or whatnot. And that changes for things like movies and trilogies, and and then obviously um, story driven TV shows. Um, all that to say, uh, I would say The Office as a whole, as a whole TV show, is objectively good, and I subjectively enjoy it as well, except for the last two seasons. And um, <laughs> that is my very poor attempt to slightly relate this back to objectivity and subjectivity. But listen, um, ultimately... I was going to try to do that too. Yeah, (laughs) ultimately, forms of objectivity can be broken down to just individual forms of subjectivity, right? Ultimately, we're still still at the the driver's seat, right? It's us individuals who are still controlling where this objective means goes. 
even if um, we're listening only to certain critics or whatnot, or only certain people's opinions, do we fully trust Mink to express if something is fundamentally good? We're making that decision to put our trust in them or whatnot. So ultimately, I would say art is is will always be an extremely subjective field because of that. Oh yeah. It, it derives from our individual insights and our individual preferences and our individual um, things that we need to talk about, our communication and whatnot. And uh, regardless of how much money gets involved, you cannot separate the subjectivity in it. It's too intertwined. It's it's impossible. Mm. Even if even if everybody just starts liking crappy movies, maybe everybody does like crappy movies. I don't know. That's still everybody's decision. Everybody is a buddy. Everybody is a person. Every person has a subjective view. That was clean. Nice one, Pat. <laughs> Good um, job. <laughs> does anyone have any closing points before we kind of wrap this up, though? Anything, last thoughts they want to get out? We covered a lot. It's crazy to think an hour went by that fast, though. I'm not going to lie. That was, yeah. fast. That was, was super fast. When I heard that it yeah. was almost up, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, guys, uh, you know, just uh, continue to like the things that you like and then talk about the things that yeah. you like and feel free to appreciate the things that you might not even like so much, right? Like the Beatles. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good... Give them a the listen. Beatles is a good, they might a know listen. a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the most horrible thing you've said this podcast. <laughs> that is going to piss off a lot of people. Uh, all right. Well, since everybody's leaving now anyway, um, I would like to give everyone an opportunity to kind of talk about what they're working on. Let's start with Talon. Where can people find your lovely voice? Oh, days? boy. Uh, I've done a lot of podcasts. Uh, you can look up Newton's Dark Room on Twitter, Instagram, uh, your favorite podcast hosting thing. Uh, I'm still reeling from quarantine, so I haven't put out anything in a hot minute. But, uh, you know, I'm still working. There's things that will probably come. So follow me on those whenever you want updates. There you go. Uh, and if, as always, all those links will be in the description. Um, Seth, what do you got for us, my guy? Okay, if you want to watch one low-quality video every six months, <laughs> join Bombastic Easy guy. Fantastic. <laughs> if you don't mind me taking your plug a little bit, um, I would like to mention that uh, Seth also makes appearances on the K-Core channel uh, relatively every once in a while. Relative and <laughs> uh, a series I'd like to recommend, in fact, if you're fine with this, Seth, I'd like to link this in the description. Uh, check out our Doc Young 64 series. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's, you got nice seven episodes or so of some funness, and hopefully... We'll continue that at some point down the line uh, when things get simpler. And uh, all that being said, uh, you guys know where to find me. Obviously, you're here. Um, but also, if you in the want to check some like different topics, if you <laughs> missed a podcast or whatnot, uh, a great thing you can do is go check out my main channel and uh, just look at some of the different topics in there. Browse the catalog and see which ones might pique your fancy. One thing I thought would be kind of fun is to just uh, click on the playlist I have that has all the topics. Put it on shuffle, baby. You got some super long podcasts right there on like just a variety of different topics with absolutely no conciseness between topics or whatnot. So boy, oh boy, you better check that out. Um, and then yeah, of course, check out Kcore. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for supporting. I hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, feel free to leave us your thoughts on any of this objective, subjective nonsense. I'm very much interested to hear that. Uh, and I think that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you guys so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Ciao.